Good morning. This morning I have a little bit of an unusual romp through the scripture, if you will. We're going to cover a lot of territory to get where we're going. But I think when we get there, the message will be loud and clear. I certainly pray that it will. I'm calling this message, The Enemy's Camp. So stay with me as I try to lay a little bit of background. We're going to end up in Judges 6 in a minute. So if you want to turn to there while we get started, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to fall upon us this morning. God, I just ask for the saturation of your holy presence in this place. Lord, that we would understand that our hearts would be quickened. Your, your disciples, oh Jesus, were their hearts burned within them as they walked with you along the way. And as we walk through this message this morning, I pray that our hearts burn within us in the same way and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. As I said, we'll be reading out of Judges 6 in a few minutes. But first I need to lay some background and I'm gonna start in Genesis chapter 25, verses one through two. This is the account that after Sarah had died, Abraham's wife Sarah had died, Abraham married his concubine Keturah and she bare him six sons and the fourth son was Midian. Verses five and six says that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. And of the sons of the concubines, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away to the east, far away from the son of promise, Isaac. Now Midian was the most prominent of Abraham's second family sons from Keturah. So that Midian was mentioned 67 times in scripture by name. And of course, the city of Midian was named after him <clears throat> and located on the eastern coast of the Red Sea. And the area included all of the borders of the Arabian Peninsula up to Moab to the north and to the Red Sea to the west. And you may recall that when Moses fled Egypt, he went to Midian and married a wife there who was referred to as the Ethiopian woman. And it was thought that she was, because they said it was Ethiopian, the Bible said it was Ethiopian, that she was of black skin, but she was not. What it really meant was that um, Ethiopia had control of Midian at the time. So they referred to her as the Ethiopian woman. At least that's what two of my um, commentaries said. So for centuries, God had made Israel to aggressively fight against Midian and his descendants, and it was always for the same two reasons, enslaving the children of Israel and idol worship. In Numbers chapter 31, God told Moses to gather 1,000 men from each tribe and to utterly defeat Midian. But Moses didn't join the fight. He stayed at home and the men disobeyed the order 
The army slew only the men, but they kept the women and children alive, and then they spoiled all the animals and the goods, or of course that means go back in and take everything that belonged to them. But this was not God's plan nor his intent, and this is not what he told Moses to tell the people to do. So God was so angry about this that he instructed them to go after them and kill all the women who had been with a man and all the male children in order to stop the spread of their evil. Pretty drastic steps to stop the spread of evil in Midian. God gave them explicit instructions on how to purify all their own belongings, their clothing, clothing, their animal skins, and anything that they used that may have come in contact with the Midianites. Think about it, and then go purify all the spoils they took from Midian by putting them through fire. Only those things which survived the fire were they then allowed to keep. Even the animals that were spoiled were to be sacrificed at the temple. And a tax was then levied against the Israelites for their disobedience, and it was given to the priests in the temple. So by now, surely we have a clear picture that God was serious about annihilating the Midianites for what they had done to Israel. They had stolen, they had enslaved them, and they had pushed their idols upon Israel and they took the bait. And now if you would turn to Judges 6, we're gonna read from verse one. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made themselves dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was that when Israel had sown in their seed in their gardens, that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites, a relative of Midian, they were brothers, and the children of the east, even they came up against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till they came to Gaza and they left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass, for they came up with their cattle and their tents and they came up as grasshoppers for multitude and they both, both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. Just a few more verses. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you. And I drove them out from before you and gave you their lands. 
and verse 10, and I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Chapter 7, verse 12 says that the Midianites and the Amalekites were spread out in the valley as thick as a swarm of locusts. But God has had his angel visit a man named Gideon under an oak tree. And the angel called to him and said, you're a mighty man of valor. And God laid out a plan for Gideon to choose a handful of men by which God would perform a miracle of such magnitude that it was referred to as the great day of Midian. God used only 300 men to create such a commotion against these armies with trumpets, pitchers, and lighting torches. And when Gideon's men cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, God confused the enemy armies, and the Bible says they ran, cried, and fled. So it, Gideon pursued and killed their leaders, and the eighth chapter records that over 120,000 men were killed that one day. Then in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 30, the Amalekites came to the city of Ziklag, where the Israels lived at that time, and they burned the city down. And they took their wives and their children, and they spoiled that land. And David came home, and he saw the devastation, and he inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue them? And the Lord said, Yes, pursue them, because you surely will overtake them. And the Bible says that David pursued and all the armies were killed except for 400 who fled and got away. And David recovered all, all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives and nothing was missing for David had recovered it all. God has shown us over and over and over that he will spare no effort to stop the spread of false religion and, that, and would, that would try to influence his children and that he intends his children to take back what was stolen from them. You remember that Judges <clears throat> said that the Midianites and the Amalekites were spread out in the valley as thick as locusts and as, as a multitude of locusts. The book of Joel speaks of locusts. It speaks of the canker worm and the palmer worm, the caterpillar and the locusts, all four of these. I looked this up and I read that these are all locusts in various stages of development. So they're obviously not like what we would recognize as a locust today, but from infancy to adult, and that each one of them in their various stage of development does varying levels of damage to the crops, but each devours everything left by the former level of development, plus their own devastation. So the palmer worm 
that Joel is talking about is the larva. And these are the gnars. They don't have teeth and legs and wings and all that yet, but they gnaw. Then comes the locust. They are swarmers. They don't even have wings or legs yet, but they swarm. And the canker worm is the devourer. And they cast off their skin and grow wings. And then the caterpillar is the fully grown wings, legs, and all, and consumes everything in its path. And they are all considered locusts. But God said, I will restore the damage done by the locust. Each level of locust, from infancy to adult, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten, symbolic of all of these armies that attacked Israel. And he promised the former rain and the latter rain, and that he shall pour out his spirit upon all flesh. I'm almost done, if you can stay with me a few more minutes. When Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he gave them power to act in his name. He told them to be careful of false gods, false prophets, false teaching, and he told them to spread the gospel, to heal the sick, cast out demons, and yet fight these same wars that we just read about over and over and over and over that the children of Israel fought, but we fight them in prayer and we fight them through faith in standing upon the word of God as the Lord spoke to us last week to do. Of course we know our enemies are not of this world. They're not flesh and blood, as the Bible says, but they are of an evil source, and we must fight them with prayer. Oh, I'm so thankful and I'm touched by all these requests this morning. It, it is, it, that's how we fight. We pray against these things that come against the body of Christ and our families. Paul wrote... How do I turn this on? Paul wrote in Romans 16, verse 20, a spectacular verse. Thank you. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And now I want to tell you a quick story. Earlier this year, <clears throat> I heard a sermon by a man I had never heard of before. His name was John Fitzpatrick. Has anyone heard of him? Nope. He was the pastor at the Brownsville Assembly of God in Brownsville, Florida, which is a suburb of Pensacola, Florida, right on the Gulf of Mexico, almost into Alabama. And he sounds like an Alabamian. In 1995, when a spectacular 
revival broke out in that church and it lasted five years. I don't recall hearing about this revival at the time. This would have been in 1995 to 2000. But in his sermon that I heard earlier this year, as I said, it was winter time, so, you know, January, February-ish, John Fitzpatrick referred to this Brownsville revival and the evangelist whose name was Steve Hill. So I began to research this, and great signs and wonders were seen during this five-year revival. There were some skeptics, yes, but the services were packed Tuesday through Sunday night for five straight years. So what's the story? Two weeks ago, I woke up with a song on my mind, and I didn't know this song. We don't sing it here, we never have, as far as I can remember, and except for a few years that we pastored other places. I've been here since I was two weeks old, so I don't remember this song. And I know that I've never played it because I had to look up the music and figure it out. Yet the tune and these words were just going over and over in my mind, and I looked it up, and sure enough, it's a real song. And guess where it came from? The Brownsville Revival. So last Sunday afternoon, I did as I always do on Sunday afternoons, unless I get a wonderful social event uh, offered to me, which is rare. Um, I was watching a particular church service that I really enjoy watching. These pastors are unusual. They're also in the uh, state of Alabama. And they write all their own music. They both play and sing multiple instruments. They've had multiple awards for singing back in the day. <clears throat> but the interesting thing is that they always play their own music. In all the, year, or the times that I've heard them, probably a couple of years, I've never heard them sing any other song that they didn't write. Last Sunday afternoon, guess what their first song was? This same song that I heard the week prior that came from the Brownsville Revival. It's called The Enemy's Camp. And I thought that's the most odd thing. And then I listened to the sermon and I thought, God is in this and I need to be listening. And sure enough, Sunday, uh, Monday morning, I woke up and the Lord had put this whole message into my spirit. Overnight, it just, I woke up and there it was, not once in the year and a half, how long have I been pastor? I can't remember. Not once has that ever happened. I usually have to work for it before I understand what the message is. Not this time. Monday morning, I woke up and there it was. I looked this song up again, as I said, and it's enjoying a renewal, and people are singing it in different churches. You might have heard it. It's called The Enemy's Camp. There's only like four lines. Is this what you used? No. no. I don't know. 
There's only a few lines to the song, and we're going to sing it. You're going to help me. <laughs> I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. I took back what he stole from me. I took back what he stole from me. Well, I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. Really hard, huh? He's under my feet, he's under my feet, under my feet, he's under my feet. And the last line, Satan is under my feet. We just read Romans 16:20, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Isn't that an astounding verse and message and song? that the Lord gave me this morning. I'm so thankful. We're gonna try and sing this. Oh, and you might notice, go, go to the, oh, the dashes represent a pause. And the next one, the arrow represents move your voice up two notes, and down means go down two notes. So we'll, you'll hear it, and you'll, it'll make sense, I think. I'll sing it through once, and then you, Gotta jump in and do it with me, okay? Well, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. I took back what he stole from me. Took back what he stole from me. Well, I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. He's under my
he's stolen that you need to go get back. God said, I will restore. I will give it back to you. All the years that those locusts, whether they were the little bitty gnars or they were the great big devourers, it didn't matter. God has a plan to give it back. Ask him to give it back to you. Let's sing it once more. If you stand with us, we'll close after this song. for your word. We thank you for the promises, Lord, that even if we've been enslaved, even if we've had false teachings and false things crammed down our throats, Lord, you sent the prophet and you said, I am the God that led you out and I am the God that will deliver you. And you said, Lord, you would give back all those years that the locust took from us. Oh, God, we want to see those years back. We want to see the blessing of God upon our homes, upon our children and our grandchildren, Lord. And we ask it today that we stand in faith believing, Lord, your word that you will bruise Satan under our feet shortly. Let us see it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, Father. We praise your name. Oh, I just want to sing it once more.
got to say one more thing. <clears throat> this song is so far away from something I would have ever chosen to sing. It's not my cup of tea. <laughs> I didn't write it, of course. I, they actually don't know who wrote it, I guess. It, it says different things. But it's scripture. Yes. And that's what the Lord was impressing on my heart. Yes. Don't poo-poo something, if you will, that God said in his word right. is fact. Right? Yes. So that was the message to me. Satan is under my feet yes. because God put him there. Amen. 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 Amen.